Hi, Linda. Guess I can unmute for now. Yes, yes, it's all good. It's working. Yay. Did you have a good holiday? Yes, ma'am, I sure did. Good. The horses are all happy. <laughs> yeah. well, and that's important. And the yeah, mule. And the mule, yes. You know, and that's unusual. Mules just aren't happy, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's starting to fit in. It's like, okay, everybody's accepting him. And, and uh, he started to buddy up with the little cow first. Ah. Yeah. So Moo Moo buddies up, and the two of them will eat out of the same big bowl. And it's kind of fun to watch. It's like anybody else comes near him, he takes off running, but the cow comes over and they both just dig in and eat their uh, eat their oats. Well, that's good. Makes you feel like you're making progress. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Hopefully this doing well, but you know, the strangeness of our weather, I mean, they, uh, Sometimes we would throw a blanket on, sometimes we don't, and you know, back and forth, but uh, they're hanging in there, so that's good. Uh, that is good, yeah. I, I blanketed up, it's like uh, my magic number is 20 degrees, that's so, about where we're at, uh huh. And or it's kind of hard if it's you know precipitating too much and it's down around freezing, you know, in the 30s but you're getting kind of that sleety rain, then I'll yeah. throw on, you know, like their raincoats just because I think they get colder when that happens than snow. So. Uh -huh. Absolutely. I uh, had the, uh, had the farrier here yesterday and George is from Walden. Great big yeah. old guy. I remember you said you used a guy from Walden. Yeah. He's pretty rough. He looked at me and says, you got sissy horses. <laughs> <laughs> they all had their coats on when they went out to get, you know, get their feet done. And, yeah. But yeah. Uh, he just laughed at me. He says, well, my horse is done. But Walden's a little bit warmer than here right now, too. He says he comes down here. It's always 20 degrees colder. It gets cold in North Park, but usually if it's windy. And so if it's not windy, I don't think North Park feels as cold. That, that makes sense, yep. Yeah, so we just got back from Yellowstone. How was that? That was fun, was really it? fun. It's been, I mean, the last time we went to Yellowstone in the winter was, we can't remember, it was 78 or 79 before wolves and, uh, yeah, we had uh, George and I and a good friend of ours took the snowcat um, from Flag Ranch, so down at the south end, up to Old Faithful. And our plan had been to then ski and backpack out with two nights camp on the way back out. And um, George had done that trip once before with another friend. And, you know, literally winter camping and skiing, you know, they cross Lewis Lake and the whole 10 yards. 
And we had issues with equipment and stuff. So we turned around before our first night and went back to what was the old snow lodge and then just skied around and, you know, had a good time in the geyser basin. So uh, this time we started at the north end, snow coached from Mammoth down, same thing, stayed a couple days down at Old Faithful and skied around. And then um, when we went back up, we stayed in Gardner, but you know, the road at the top end of the park um, at the north end along the Montana border up there is kept open. It's the only road because Cook, which is at the east end, is totally isolated without it. It's the only way supplies get to Cook. And so you can drive from Gardner to Cook. Um, and that is where the wolves are a lot of the time. Uh, yep. And so that's why we were doing it as were a lot of other people. Um, but we we did have, of the three days we were up there, two of those three days, we had really good wolf sightings, got some good pictures. So it was pretty cool. Uh -huh. we, we had a good time. Jeez. But it wasn't snowy enough. It wasn't cold enough. I mean, it really, in fact, they're worried for Yellowstone. They have huh. much, they have less snow than we do. Oh, for Crown Lodge, you'd think now, be down at the in the geyser basin. So you know, more into the interior of the park, they have adequate snow, you know, to get the snow coaches and to be able to ski and everything else. But when you get up to Mammoth, that whole north end of the park, the the Lamar Valley along the river, where normally they would be covered with snow and mm -hmm. you wouldn't see the sage brush, lots of sagebrush, you even see bare spots. Um, so kind of concerning. It is, yeah. I've been working over in Rio Blanco for the last two months and uh, ah. right on, on this end of it. And normally they're snowed in. Yeah. But, yeah, roads are easy to drive on and going in and out of the driveways, it's just awesome. But uh, yeah, keep expecting something to hit and it hasn't. Well, and at this point, I don't worry even about the recreation value of the snow. It's the water. And mm -hmm. we've, I'm very concerned. And, you know, but there's nothing we can do except oh. wait and see. Totally. Uh, yeah. Uh, I kind of worry, you know, it's like, where am I going to get my hay from? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Because uh, up, up there where I'm working is where all the water's coming from. It's coming down into this valley. and We've got to feed that hay someplace. Yeah. Uh, well, and I haven't driven over through, over by Walden, through North Park for a couple months now. But uh, a friend of mine said that they don't have as much snow cover as they normally would. So, mm -hmm. and of course, they produce a lot of our hay too. So, yep. uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Looks like people are starting to join us here. Yeah. Sarah and Stephen. I, I read those lips there, Steve. It's like, they said, hi, Bill. Yeah. Unmute. Look at that. Amazing. There you are. Hi there. 
Sarah looks like a dog. I'm not sure if that works, but that's okay. <laughs> We've been waiting for her to woof woof, but so far, uh, no luck. Perfect. Everybody doing well? Yes. Good. Good. Yes. Staying warm. That's that's the goal. Yep. Alan, good evening. How are you? Good. How are you? I yeah. complain, but no one's really interested in listening, so I just choose <laughs> not to do it. What do you What do you have to complain about? Uh, I fired something, I suppose. No, I'm very well. Thank you. I brought cookies if anybody wants one. Ooh, that looks like a thin mint. <laughs> An Oreo. Oh, it's an Oreo. Ooh, that's a favorite also. Mm -hmm. Hi, Christy. How's everybody doing? Yes. Uh, uh, I think he's hearing us. There he is. There he is. Perfect. Are you for me? I just want to make sure you could hear us. Yeah, we could hear you. We thought we were not the first on the agenda. But there were some other things going on. Oh, you're not. I'm just kind of taking attendance and seeing who's on it and who isn't. That's all. The yeah. uh, the the early stuff on the agendas, uh, like administrative, really like quick. Yeah, the word might be perfunctory even, but anyway. Um, and let me just are you, add that are you calling my minutes perfunctory? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't mean it that way. Okay. No, no, no. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. We shouldn't be so sensitive. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Mr. Lyman, you had something? I just wanted to mention that we have uh, several people here from, from Twin Enviro. That's all. Okay. Thank so you. So uh, they're not all on the screen by name, but they can, uh, whoever That's speaks fine. will identify himself. And Scott, you can hear us well, I'm assuming. Yes, I can hear you. Thank you, Steve. Perfect. And Rebecca Lindemann? <laughs> yes. Good evening. Good. The only reason I'm doing that, based on a recent experience, apparently, that took place with the Board of Adjustment, I thought maybe it makes some sense to make sure that everybody can hear everybody. Uh, before I call the meeting to order a bit of housekeeping, um, this uh, the petitions before us have been in fact posted um, on site. They've been adjacent property owners have been notified. Uh, in addition to that, the proceedings were published in the local paper and on the Route County website. Because this is a Zoom venue, um, there are a couple little things that have some value for all of us in order for this to go well. Uh, the first would be if we're not speaking or you're not speaking, please. Um, mute yourself so we can avoid any background noises. That helps considerably. Um, secondly, if a question surfaces, there is a feature on Zoom that allows us to raise your hand or us all to raise our hand. 
And failing that, or should, for whatever reasons that doesn't occur between, I think commissioners and Sarah and Christy and myself will, if you kind of wave on the screen, we'll see what's going on and we'll recognize you and you know get to your questions. Um, the other thing that's probably worth talking about, the majority of the commissioners have not been together since December. And so I would like to take advantage of the opportunity to wish you all Happy New Year. And with that, I'd like to call to order the January 20th Route County, uh, the January 20th meeting of the Route County Planning Commission. Sarah, if you would be so kind as to call the roll. Sure. Steve Warnke. Yes. Brian Kelly. Present. Andrew Benjamin. Here. Roberta Marshall. I see you, Roberta. Yep. You cannot, can you not talk? Are you Roberta, muted? Are you... For some reason, oh, there I go. There I don't know go. why okay. it wasn't letting me click off. So I, I Okay, apologize. all right, just checking. Uh, okay, Bill Norris. Here. Greg Yeager. Here. Linda Miller. Here. Jim DeFrancia. Present. Uh, Paul Weiss. And Ren Martin. Okay, thank you, Sarah. Uh, for the record, we do have, in fact, a quorum. Um, I'd like to go to the first order of business on the agenda, Sunshine Resolution. As the commissioners are aware, this is um, an effect announcement to the public as to where uh, meeting agendas and meeting minutes will be posted. Um, it's, I think it doesn't really change too much from year to year. I'm going to take the position that the commissioners are good with the sunshine resolution as presented in front of you and would only solicit anyone that objects to it. Hearing none, then I'm going to take the position that the sunshine resolution is adopted this 20th day of 2022 of January, 2022. Um, and Sarah, you'll uh, execute the yeas and the nays in the absence in the boxes at the bottom? Uh, will do. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Next item on the agenda, public comment. Anyone who wishes to address the commissioners on any item that is not on the agenda this evening, now would be the time to do so. Hearing and seeing none, um, we'll move on to the next item. Uh, approval of the minutes of December 2nd, 2021. Are there any corrections, clarifications, additions, subtractions, deletions, what have you to those minutes? And if not, perhaps there might be a motion to approve the minutes of December 2nd. I'll move approve, to the, approve the minutes. I'll second it. All those in favor signify by saying yes. Aye. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Opposed say no. Hearing none, we'll move directly to the next item on the agenda. Uh, twin Landfill Activity PL2021002. As the commissioners are aware, uh, this matter was tabled from the December 2nd meeting. Yeah. Um, I don't know how the commissioners feel, but 
I read through this petition on more than one occasion, a numerous number of times. And frankly, there's a lot going on with it and a lot of moving parts. And so I would like to deviate from our normal procedure, which is to have the petitioner present a narrative to us. I'd like to have staff do that first. And the thought process is, I think Alan can do a wonderful job of unwinding some of the questions that we probably have and clarifying some of the issues that are in front of us. Um, so with that, Alan, you're up. All right. So I'm gonna share my screen and can everybody see that? Yes. All right, so we are here to review Twin Enviro special use permit application and certificate of designation request. Uh, and we're also going to be reviewing staff's recommendations on the conditions of approval. As far as process goes, this is a special use permit. So planning commission is going to be making a recommendation to the board of county commissioners. And then the board of county commissioners will be making a final decision on the special use permit and the certificate of designation. And I'm gonna get in, uh, explain what the certificate des of designation is a little bit later on. So the, the goals of the hearing. Um, so one of the goals is for planning commission to recommend conditions of approval to the Board of County Commissioners. Uh, staff and the landfill met many times to dis discuss the conditions of approval that are in the staff report. And we came to an agreement on most of them, but there were a few that we were not able to agree upon. And so we'll need a uh, planning commission to make that decision. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to call out two conditions, uh, but then I'm going to let twin identify which other ones they would like to discuss. Uh, so condition number 25 addresses visual impacts of the dumpsters and the portable toilet storage area. So as you can see in the photo, this, uh, these blue and white uh, objects in the middle ground are the uh, portable toilets. Uh, they're stored in the northern portion of the site at the edge of a bench that overlooks the Yampa River and the highway. So these are visible from Highway 40 because of the bright blue and white plastic that they're made of. And so condition number 25 suggests that a fence be placed around it for visual mitigation, but that condition was just meant as a starting point for this visual impact discussion. Um, another condition I'd like to point out is condition of approval number 19, which lists all of the reports that are required, that would be required to be submitted. So in the current permit, there is a condition that requires all regular reports required by CDPHE to be submitted to, to the county. Uh, we've never had a comprehensive list of what those reports that are re required to be submitted is. So as part of this review, we have come looked through their appro state approval documents 
and have compiled that list. And that's what in, is in condition of approval number 19. And as it exists, it's not requiring anything more than what they are already required to do. So next, I would like to go over the oversight responsibilities that are shared between the state and the county. So landfills are an area of dual jurisdiction between the state and the county, which means we have equal oversight uh, over, over landfills. Uh, so the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, uh, their Hazardous Materials and Waste Management Division is the division that primarily uh, has oversight and reviews uh, landfill applications. And they're, so what they do is they review applications and EDOPs or engineer design and operation plans for landfills for compliance with the solid waste sites and facilities regulations, and to ensure that it is protective of human health and the environment. They also work with local government bo governing bodies to permit facilities. They provide construction quality assurance by reviewing uh, engineer reports. They conduct inspections. Um, however, they have not conducted an inspection at the Milner landfill since 2019. And then there are other departments within CDPHE that review other associated permits such as air quality and stormwater. And then Route County issues the certificate of designation after the state has determined if the state's minimum standards can be met. Uh, we review the operations for offsite impacts through the special use permit process such as uh, the one tonight. Uh, we conduct inspections. Uh, although the state has not conducted any inspections since 2019, uh, we have conducted five. And the state does appreciate the level of involvement that Route County has shown in oversight. And that's particularly important because we are much closer to the site, which enables us to conduct more frequent inspections and able to respond more quickly to uh, urgent issues. And then oversight of landfills is one of the core environmental health services granted to the county through the Colorado State Board of Health. So now some commonly used terms and acronyms that might get thrown around here tonight. Uh, so CDPHE is the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. And then uh, HMWMD is the Hazardous Materials and Waste Management Division. And for the most part, when staff refers to CDPHE, we are referring to the Hazardous Materials and Waste Management Division. Uh, there's also the EDOP, which is the Engineer Design and Operation Plan. And this is a document that is prepared by an engineer that specifies how the landfill will be constructed, operated, and closed. And I think TWIN's most recent land, uh, EDOP is over 1,400 pages. So it's a very comprehensive document that details uh, how it will be operated. Uh, the Certificate of Designation, uh, or the CD, uh, that details the boundary of the landfill. It contains a legal description of the land that is contained within it. And statute requires that the governing body issue a certificate of designation in order
order for a landfill to operate. Again, one of those um, dual oversight jurisdiction pieces. So now I'm gonna go into the site description and uses. And just to be clear, not much is changing with the operation except for the addition of other landfill type uses. This review mainly focuses on it as being a final review of the operation following approval of the EDOT by the state in December, 2020. Uh, and so there are uses that have already been approved uh, like the, the, land, the solid waste landfill, composting, recycling, things like that. But then there are also uh, uses that have been added since the last time the county reviewed the permit. Uh, and so this review is to, to bring these uses in and those include vehicle storage, container and portable toilet storage, resource extraction, maybe um, mainly gravel and clay for construction of the, the landfill cells. Um, so resource extraction for on-site use, uh, recyclable electronic storage and soil and organics storage. So now I'm gonna go over uh, just a brief history of the landfill. Uh, this site has been used as a landfill for at least 50 years. The first certificate of designation was issued in 1977 and the first special use permit in 1984. And there have been multiple amendments since that first special use permit in 1984. Uh, in 2016, the state and local officials conducted an inspection and violations were identified at that point. And so a compliance advisory was issued in 2016, officially identifying those violations. And then later in 2016, a consent order was issued, which establishes compliance requirements and criteria for the continued operation of the landfill. The last time the county reviewed this permit was in 2018, and that was to remove the solidification basin for liquid waste. And so these pictures are the solidification basin before 2018 and then pretty much how it looks right now. And so the solidification basin is where liquid wastes were brought. They were dumped into this lined basin and then mixed with fly ash from the power plant. And then once it reached a certain level of solidification, then they were able to transfer it into the, into the landfill. Uh, some tests were done on the liner and the liner failed those tests. And so CDPHE determined that uh, uh, the solidification basin could not be operated anymore. So. What they did is they decommissioned the solidification basin and used it as secondary containment and placed two 20,000 gallon liquid waste storage tanks. And what they do is they pump the liquid waste into these storage tanks and store them until they are able to be transferred off of site to an appropriate disposal facility. Um, in January, uh, and so TWIN complied with the removal of the solidification basin and um, the tank placement in 2019. In January of 2020, another compliance advisory was issued. And 
Since 2016, TWIN has been working with the state on a revised EDOP or Engineer Design and Operations Plan, and that was approved in December of 2020. And so now I would just like to go over some of the compliance issues that have been present out there. I would like to say that most of the issues have been addressed with the state's approval of the revised EDOP in 2020. Uh, but Route County conducted an inspection in October of 2021, and there were issues found during that inspection. There are two illegal septic vaults that were installed. Uh, trash on the working face had not received its uh, interim daily cover, which is soil. So at the end of the day, they're required to cover exposed trash with soil, and that was not occurring appropriately. There were stormwater controls where there was a break in one of the containment berms and material pushed up against the containment berm, allowing water to flow over it. Uh, Windblown trash and trash outside of the uh, material recovery facility, which is where uh, single stream recyclables are sorted. And then there was an unpermitted clay and gravel extraction area in the northwest portion of the site. Uh, when we were there in October, it had not been reseeded. It had been dug without approval from the county or the state. And, um, but that area has been approved by the state with that 2020 EDOP. Um, prior to the state's inspection in 2016, they had not been there in three years. And so that's what, that inspection is what started this whole process. And uh, in two, 2016, there were violations of the special use permit identified, uh, but again, most of these are, or all of these are getting addressed through uh, this review and uh, the EDOP. So there have been nine compliance advisories or consent orders that have been issued by the state in the past 18 years. CDPHE has stated that this frequency is higher than at other landfills and violations main re, mainly related to um, that interim daily cover, the soil placement over the trash at the end of the day, stormwater management issues, uh, work with no permits or late permitting, and then timeliness of submitting required reports and documentation. So the issues that we hope to address through this review are the violations of the special use permit and the certificate of designation, uh, update the certificate of designation with the correct legal description and incorporate the SUP, and then add the current uses that are not formally approved through the SUP. Uh, so there is a new element to this review that Planning Commission has never seen before, uh, and that is review against the Climate Action Plan. The Climate Action Plan was adopted in June of 2021 by the county and all of the municipalities. It is the framework for achieving the county's sustainability goals, and it really puts an emphasis on waste diversion. Um, and so we, the planning staff will be using 
the climate action plan in the same way that we review applications against the master plan and any sub sub area plans the land use review will be used to help achieve the sustainability goals that are in there and again one of the there's an entire chapter just on waste diversion and so the landfill is going to be an important part partner in this effort by reporting the amounts of waste that is diverted from the landfill. And waste that is being diverted from the landfill includes the Milner Mall, which has construction and demolition waste and building materials, single stream recycling, electronics recycling, and compost. Um, and so the county's vision for the future with the landfill is a compliant operation because a compliant operation is a valuable operation. It ensures the health and safety of the residents and it meets the goals of the climate action plan and all of the other uh, adopted plans by the county. Uh, we would like to have a good working relationship with twin enviro management in the county. And we also need informed decision makers so that the oversight responsibilities of the county can be fulfilled. Um, and so that's all I have for now. Um, and I'm sure, like I said, uh, Twin will be identifying any conditions of approval that they would like to discuss. Uh, thank you, Alan. I really appreciate uh, your efforts in the presentation. Um, I think perhaps before we start questions of staff, why don't we have Mr. Lyman talk to us a bit? And we're more than welcome to hear his comments in his presentation. So, Mr. Lyman, you are up. Les, you're muted. Les, you're muted. Les, you're muted. Uh, there we go. Here we go. I'm out now. You hear me now? Yep. Yes. Okay. I do. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. I'm not doing all of these meetings. But anyway, good evening. Uh, Rebecca would like to make some comments or engineer, and then and then I might like to uh, follow on with that, if that's okay. Surely. Thanks, Rebecca? Les. Hi, good evening, commissioners. I'm Rebecca Lindemann. I'm a civil and environmental engineer here locally with Jardin Engineering and Inspections, and I'm a consultant to TWIN. I've been working with them since 2019 on compliance and engineering-related items. Um, I just had two points of clarification, just um, so we're all on the same page. Alan was talking about the state uh, having not conducted an inspection sometime, which is accurate. I did want to let the commissioners know that the state has been attempting to do an inspection for some time and even had one scheduled in fourth quarter of um, 2021, but they ended up canceling because of the COVID rates in the county and because of COVID in general. So um, they have been trying to get up here in their defense. Um, and we do have quite a few conference calls with the state and with CDPHE for ongoing operations. And then the, the second point of clarification, just one of the slides had talked about the inspection from October of 21, and Alan had a point on there about the unpermitted resource extraction. And I do just want to clarify that um, that was previously approved as part of the 2020 
engineering design and operations plan for the landfill. So at the time of the inspection, it was approved um, just for that clarification. And then there was some additional trenching that was going on that there was a photograph of on one of the slides and the that was done under approval of CDPHE with all of the correspondence also going to the county. I know Twin's been doing a really good job keeping the county informed of things that are going on with CDPHE and also inviting to the, the county to any um, of the conference calls that we were having with CDPHE to try to keep that open line of communication. So the, those were just my two points of clarification. And then Les, if you need me to fill in anything else, just let me know. And if I might add to that, um, the, the disposal site in Milner was um, originally uh, part of the Utterback property. Uh, and you gave some of the history, Alan, and I want to just uh, expand on that a little bit. The, uh, the Utterback property was, was an old uh, cut, railroad cut, because you may or may not know the, the site is, is a, uh, an underground coal mine that dates from 1903 and which later became a, a, a surface of strip mine uh, in the 1940s. And uh, when the county decided to move, the, to close the landfill that was off the north end of the uh, Steamboat Springs Airport and the other landfill that was next to the Hayden County Fairgrounds, uh, the permit process really consisted of the county saying, yeah, we ought to close those two sites. And then they opened the new one up on Monday. And that, uh, that was the permit process. And when they moved it out to the, the site, um, it was operated by the county for about 10 years. Um, and being an old coal mine, um, it, and, and surface mine and underground mine, it had a number of issues that made it um, difficult to, uh, to transition to a, a fully defined disposal site. Uh, and that includes the fact that uh, there were coal seams that were exposed and generated metals. Uh, there was a number of drainages that, uh, that were problematic. And um, when the county operated the site, during that 10 year period, the, uh, the liquid waste site, uh, Alan, that you referred to as being having a leaking liner, that liner never leaked. The problem we had over there was that the first monitoring wells that were installed in the early 1970s actually um, were, the first monitoring well that was installed was, was actually installed to uh, monitor an area where septic waste had been dumped in a in a uh, an old uh, mine pit, and uh, that mine pit uh, has at that time and continuing uh, for a few years later uh, generated uh, presence of, of different chemicals and organics that have been problematic. And uh, it seems like even though it's been many years later, those, those problems haven't gone away. Also, the solidification basin liner was a double line facility. It, was never, it never leaked. What happened was that there were some drainages underneath the mine, uh, under that uh, solidification basin that created some uh, or was, showed the presence of some liquids 
And uh, um, there were people who said it was leaking, but it was from the chemical tests, it never showed that it had any of the constituents that were being handled by the solidification basin. So um, it, we don't ever believe that it, that it leaked. The other thing we should tell you is that many small disposal sites across the Eastern Slope and in Southern Colorado were closed. Um, the typical front range landfills do one to 2 million tons per year of, of waste, which, uh, which sets up a whole different economic uh, possibilities for, for disposal sites. The, by, by comparison, the Milner landfill is doing 60 to 70,000 tons a year, um, a very small fraction of what you see on these other, on these, uh, other front range uh, disposal sites. So generally the choice for many counties has been either to close their sites and transfer waste long distances to, to uh, which, which has its own environmental problems or uh, just try to do the best you can with the limited resources. And then in this particular site uh, would be also the, the issue of the water, the fact that it had been a mine before, which creates its own problems. Um, these are just some of the things that, uh, that we as operators contend with. And, uh, and we did inherit a mine that, uh, sorry, a disposal site that was operated for about 10 years by the county as an open burning site and um, with, with no controls, no, no gates, no access and no fees. And um, so basically um, I took it over because under RICRA, we were a, a potentially responsible party and we, didn't, we wanted to get control of the site and make improvements because we were basically liable for what was going on there. Um, so that's just uh, some open comments, uh, opening comments on, on the history of the site with, you know, which people may not uh, be familiar with. And you wanna go from there? Let's see what they want us to do next. Oh, what, do you, what would you like us to do next? Well, I think at this point in time, I'd like to open it up for questions um, from the commissioners to either staff um, or the twin folks. So questions, people. Well, I'll start then. Um, Mr. Lyman, I'm guessing or assuming, or I guess it's one of both or it's both. Um, the issue that it partially is in front of us is, is the ability to see the portalettes and the dumpsters from Route 40. Um, and I'm thinking that probably is a direct result of your acquisition of, of ACE. Am I thinking right? No, that's not true. Uh, we've been doing, I'm sorry, this is Marlon. I work at Twin. Uh, we've been that's okay. doing, or, sorry. I'm we've sorry, been, can uh, I get your full name, please? Marlon Mullet. And okay. so uh, I've been there for nine years and we've been doing portalettes and storing containers out there since before. I worked there, so this is not a new activity. Uh, the where we're actually storing them is six tenths of a mile off Route 40, and I think Alan's photographs that he has here are somewhat accurate in in that uh, 
uh, you can barely see what they are. And so our contention is we don't believe a fence is, is necessary because it's just not that visible from that far away. And it has certainly a cost to twin to, to erect a fence. Um, have you given considering consideration to trees as opposed to a fence? Uh, in the summer months, there are some big trees in the line of sight uh, that would partially obscure it. I just looked at it today. And yes, we would consider some plantings uh, to break it up a little bit. I think that's a good I'm, suggestion. I'm just thinking that, you know, whether it's a row or a line of trees that eventually will grow to the point that they serve a serve as a, a reasonable screen might be a better solution or an alternate solution to the fencing. And I just- I, I think too, just to break up, break that up a little bit, I think would work. I think one um, other point on there is that to keep in mind that the traffic, the viewers coming down US 40 at that point in time, the speed limit's 65 miles an hour. So the, the view is, um, in my opinion, quite quick and um, not something that you're directly looking at because you can see in this photograph that it's um, parallel to the line of sight, perpendicular to the drive. Comments from commissioners? I see Greg has his hand up. Ah, Greg. Uh, I had uh, two questions, one for Les, the other one for staff. So I'll ask, uh, Less my first question, and I just wanted to know if you had any other contentious uh, conditions that you uh, were concerned about or anything else. Uh, yeah, we have, a, we, have a, we have a short list of things that we're not in agreement with, with, uh, with the county. Yeah. Um, I can, I want to talk to the vaults. Would you like us to go through those uh, and get those out of the way? Well, how about Greg ask your second question? And then, okay, yeah, I'll, uh, my second question is for staff. And um, we talked about uh, the nine uh, orders from CDPHE. I think I got the acronym right. Um, and I was just wondering what kind of enforcement mechanisms do they do? Is it like fine based? Is it, and then, do they have to see and initiate the, uh, the enforcement themselves? Or if the county gives a referral of something, would they take action from that as well? Uh, so <clears throat> I don't know what the penalties are. Um, I think uh, Les and Marlon would probably be able to respond to, to that better. Um, but yeah, they, if we identified a major issue during one of our inspections, we, I mean, let me take that back. We put together an inspection report after every single inspection and send it to both the landfill and to CDPHE. And I believe that if we identified an issue that rose to the level of needing them to address it, they would absolutely do that. Um, but the inspections, like I said, they've been, they work closely with CDPHE. They have been for the past five, six years getting their EDOP updated. 
Um, we continue to do inspections and the, I would characterize the violations that we found in October as being fairly minor, uh, nothing, nothing major. And after the, we sent the state our inspection report, they um, thanked us for it and said, well, we're trying to get up there soon. And so um, nothing really came of that, but I was not expecting anything. Can I add to that? This is Scott Kellman, environmental health director. Um, when, when the state comes out um, and does an inspection, um, they can issue um, compliance assistance items, um, items from a compliance advisory. Um, and if those aren't addressed or if there's a major issue, they can issue a violation or order on consent. Um, so uh, with the compliance advisory, normally what they do is uh, they'll send a letter, they'll identify uh, the correction and the amount of time um, that the operation has to make those corrections. And so that's what we more typically see. Um, the compliance advisory in 2016 resulted in an um, order of consent and a fine and some other requirements Perfect, that answers my question, thank you. Um, I have a question for staff, Alan specifically. Um, I thought I read that the original SUP categorizes one of these, well, no, itemizes or describes accessory uses to the landfill. And so what I'm trying to understand is it occurs to me, or it seems to me that in some instances, we're getting kind of really specific in some areas, for example, the composting, which to me could be considered as an accessory use. And I'm trying to understand, are you merely, is this just merely a case of identifying specifically what goes on there? And it's not really necessarily a violation so much as Hey, we're just being a little bit more thorough in terms of what we're seeing in the operation. We want people to know about it. Or am I missing something? I, I know accessory use is a pretty broad term, but another example of that would be, it seems to me that trucks and earth moving equipment and what have you would be a normal course of events and accessory to the operation. But yet we're calling out for a maintenance, I think a maintenance building and some other odds and ends going on that we're identifying specifically now? Am I getting confused or am I confused? Uh, no, I don't think so. And this is, I mean, this is the route we've been going the past couple of years of identifying what the, because before there was just the condition that, um, the, appro this, the approval is subject to the, the project plan. And so then that required staff to go back to the staff report and the application to find out what the approved project plan was. This is, my, my goal for this special use permit is to have one comprehensive document that you don't have to go and reference five, six, seven, eight other documents to find out what it means. I would like to 
be able to look at the special use permit and know exactly what needs to happen. And so that is the, the reason for the specificity and listing all of the, the uses and then also enlisting all of the reports that would be required to be submitted so that, again, whoever's reviewing that permit can just look at the permit, know exactly what's required and it's just a much more efficient review. That's an answer and an explanation. Thanks, Ellen. Other questions for staff and or Mr. Lemon? Brian, my hand's up, Steve. I'm sorry. Steve, this is Jim, That's my hand was up. I see it, Jim, go. I just wanted, I wanted to comment on that issue of screening uh, and, and indicate my strong bias towards uh, landscaping. <clears throat> I think some trees plant along there would be a, a very permanent solution, much more enhancing of the environment and uh, serve the purpose intended. And it's got a more permanent character. And uh, so I think, I think that's a good solution. It appeared that the applicant was receptive to it. Thank you, Jim. See, Brian has his hand raised also. Well, Brian? I, can I, Brian, before you go, I, I just want to want y'all to keep in mind some things about landscaping. So, um, there's no point in installing landscaping if it doesn't live. And so if that is the route that y'all are going, that yes, mitigation measures need to take place and no offense is not appropriate, but landscaping is, I would suggest that a bond be required for the continual maintenance and upkeep of those um, of that vegetation so that we can ensure that they're the goal that they are planted to achieve is achieved. And we've, we've done this before, the Soaring Eagle RV Park on the west end of town. They had a bond, they, I think they still have a bond in place for the cottonwoods that were required to be planted in front. So um, just wanted y'all to, to keep that in mind. Thank you, Ellen. Brian and uh, then Brian. Andy. <clears throat> I hope patience pays off. Uh, good evening. A, a couple of comments. Uh, I, I go by this site three to four times a week in each direction. So a total of six to eight times a week. Uh, I've got some of a background related to this in terms of I've actively worked on a number of landfills scattered throughout the country. And so are generally familiar with their operation. Uh, I am less worried, just being straightforward about it. I'm less worried about the view to the porta potties because I agree. I think it was Rebecca that made the comment when you're going 65 to 75 miles an hour uh, east or westbound in either direction, the last thing you're doing is glancing over, in my opinion, at the porta potties or that stuff up there, whatever's up there. You're looking at the traffic ahead of you. This is roughly halfway down the only westbound designated passing lane between Steamboat Springs and Craig. And in the middle of that, we have traffic loading coming in and out of the landfill. And I don't know what criteria are used. I'm astounded, astounded that there's nothing on vehicle counts associated with this permit because we put them on gravel pits. Now, I'm not saying the gravel pit designations are correct or incorrect, but I see a fair amount of inconsistency here with vehicular and truck counts on the respective operations. 
that usage dumping onto a public highway, especially a major highway like 40, uh, are noticeable. And that's one thing you notice. I'm not looking at the porta potties up there. I'm looking at the person making a left-hand turn into there and stacking up the passing lane that people going both eastbound and westbound are trying to use. And so those are, uh, I, I fully heard what Les said about, if I heard the notes correctly, 60 to 70,000 tons a year compared to one to 2 million tons a year on a, you know, a typical uh, front range landfill. I, I heard those numbers, but that we also have a number of uses going on here and every single one of those uses adds to the vehicular count coming in and out of the only westbound passing lane between Craig and Steamboat Springs. One thing we've been hearing over and over again in the master plan is commuting. And there you go. And those are my comments. Thank you, Brian. Andy had his hand up and then Roberta. Andy? Hi, everyone. Um, I had a question for um, staff regarding any what we're calling violations or just impacts that the adoption of the Climate Action Plan is having on the existing SUP. It's a, I have a, multiple questions, but that's my first one for staff. Um, could, sorry, could you repeat the question? <clears throat> you mentioned um, in your narrative that the climate action plan that was adopted recently is now also part of the review process um, with goals towards sustainability um, and limiting you know, waste inflow in. Has that adoption resulted in any impacts to their operations or the current SUP? Uh, no, there hasn't. I mean, there are some conditions of approval that are suggested that are in response to the climate action plan. But <clears throat> uh, since this is the first review that has been taken place that has taken place of this operation since the since that plan was adopted, there hasn't been any chance to to review it against that or require anything because of it. Okay, and then uh, my question for the applicant is more just for general information. Um, what is the process that occurs with single stream recycling right now? And is that a functioning economic part of your current operations? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, so we collect single stream, waste management collects single stream, uh, residents bring single stream out to our recycling center in Milner, where it is sorted and baled and then shipped by commodity uh, to the mills. I have a question um, for Les or Marlin. Um, is waste management hauling 100% of their single stream to the MRF at this point? Unknown. Okay. They, they were at times, I'm not sure if they're bringing everything to us right now or not. Okay. <clears throat> the, the economic I'm sorry, any other questions? 
Steve, I have a question. Yes, Roberta. I don't know if, if Andy's done. Yeah, that's really quick. I'm sorry. Um, Marlon, I think it'd be helpful maybe if you could expand on that operation that, that you guys don't run the um, sorting machine that my understanding is that you lease the land for a super low price and then another uh, third party operates um, on landfill property. Can you expand on that a little bit, please? Uh, a couple of years ago, we ran it ourselves for I think the first two or three years. Then the company that developed the actual conveyor sorting system that's in the MERV uh, asked to license the operations out to them. Uh, they're in the recycling business and in the conveyor system business. They saw the opportunity to uh, sell these uh, turntable type sorting sy conveyor systems around the country. And they wanted to use our operations as their laboratory for improvements to the machine. So yes, for the last three years, I believe uh, that operation is licensed uh, to that company that developed the conveyor system. What are the reporting requirements and who's responsible for that reporting? Reporting uh, overall responsibility comes from TWIN and they are responsible for reporting to us. Okay, thank you. Roberta, you wanna go with your question? Yes, thank you. Um, just actually a couple of comments on bonding for landscaping. I'm not an advocate of bonding for landscaping because it it becomes a liability for a business on their asset sheet for years and years and years. And it, you know, it, particularly if it's for maintenance, um, I, I would prefer if you're going to go down that route or if the commission is going to recommend that route that we consider, um, you know, three to five years of establishment, you know, certified by some landscape architect or appropriate party, because the kind of landscaping is going to be out here if they, they do go that route would be a drought tolerant type material that will establish itself and then should shouldn't need a lot of maintenance. Uh, you know, a shrubby coastally shrub, not coastal, but shrubby material. Andy could probably speak to species better than me, but um, I think it makes more sense to just have a, a check at three to five years and then uh, not require a bond. That's my opinion. And then on the passing lane, uh, the comment that Andy made, uh, excuse me, it was Brian, that Brian made. I'm not sure what your suggested condition or recommendation would be in that regard. And isn't this a CDOT uh, issue more than a county issue? Uh, that may be a staff question. Thank you. Alan, you have a response for that or a comment? Uh, yeah, that is correct. That it is a the the Highway 40 County Road 205 intersection is a CDOT issue. Um, since there was nothing changing as part of this application, they were not notified of this. But they do have the ability to review that permit whenever whenever it is. It is needed. Um, and then the landfill does pay a tipping fee to the county. I, I think Scott can talk to what that tipping fee is based off of. 
but that is to that tipping fee helps to pay off the the bridge that is over the the river on county road 205 so although we're not requiring specific reports on truck traffic we are uh, collecting money for maintenance of that bridge and the construction of it and on that um it's not technically a tipping fee it's more of a disposal fee um, if that matters but um there is a 25 cents per cubic yard on uh, for recycling to help support um, recycling waste diversion services and then 15 cents um, per cubic yard to help pay off that bridge and i, I believe that <clears throat> on the current schedule um, that bridge should be paid off uh, by 2029. And so we'll need to decide at that point um, what to do about that resolution. Any other questions for the petitioner or staff at this point? What I'd like to do, uh, Mr. Lyman, you had expressed a, a desire to provide some comments to the commissioners, and I think now would be the time to do so. Uh, the, the composting operation has, uh, has just added, uh, or, or we added, because we discontinued it years ago, but we've started to uh, collect and accept uh, food waste for, for composting, as well as the um, wastewater uh, treatment plant biosolids that we've been composting for years. And, but either, both, both products generate a really nice reusable um, uh, finished compost that's used both for reclamation of the site and, uh, and for also uh, landscapers uh, do use these, those facilities. Um, quite a few of the areas have been, or acreages has already been required reclaimed at the landfill and has been returned to, um, to grazing. And uh, that's been very successful in terms of a reclamation plan. And then we do have another area of about, oh, 70 or 80 acres that is a part of an old uh, strip mine that was never really reclaimed. It was done before there were regulations relating to that. And eventually that'll become part of the landfill uh, expansion and then, and then uh, returned, returned to grazing. Um, if you come out there in the summer, I, I like to say that the landfill to a large extent looks like a park. It's, uh, and, you know, compared to how, what it looked like when it was an old uh, open burning dump and when it was a county operation in the 1970s, um, I'm very proud of the way it looks. And, uh, when you talk also, you mentioned about bonds. One of the things that this landfill has is a, a, a closure trust, a trust fund that's grown to about $4 million that is uh, for the benefit of the state of Colorado to close and maintain the landfill and do continue post-closure monitoring of the site for 30 years after closure. Uh, the disposal site has uh, 
12 monitoring wells where we monitor uh, on a twice a year basis the, the groundwater underneath the site. And it, uh, um, we've had you know, real good results on, that, on those wells. You know, we're not seeing any impacts at all from the disposal site. And uh, I want to stress that the uh, disposal uh, areas are all lined with clay and clay and plastic. And, uh, and so, uh, and, you know, we manage our leachate and we do manage our stormwater. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's always challenging to run a small site. And that's why so many of them have closed. But uh, I think we're doing a really good job. Did you want to touch on the items that we're not in agreement with? Uh, no, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Can I ask a quick question first? Um, regarding the, uh, the composting, um, you've been composting biosolids from the wastewater treatment facility in Steamboat. And um, we noticed based on our inspection that you've accumulated a lot of finished compost that's being stored up in that Mod 5 area. Um, and What's the plan uh, for that finished compost? I guess the way I understood it, and I might be wrong, is that um, it doesn't meet criteria for sale, but does meet criteria for use on site to assist with reclamation. Is, can you clarify on that? We have, uh, there's two different areas where we're storing compost. Uh, the one area is not really on mod one through five, Scott, it's kind of, just uh, on the Route 40 side of the, the horseshoe, phase two, you know where I'm talking about? So we're storing uh, processed compost up there. It's not finished because it's not screened, but we're storing compost up there and mixing it with soil for uh, eventual use as taps on uh, parts of the landfill we're closing down. And CDP is well aware, CDPHE is well aware of where we're storing it up there. And then we are storing finished compost, which is fully uh, screened in an area just off where we do our grinding of our organics in that little makeshoe horseshoe that we have there. And uh, CDPHE requires that we have it covered with dirt, uh, but it's a, there are two approved storage areas. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. So that that area um, to the south of the Milner Mall, um, the plan for that it's it's unscreened but finished. The plan is to use that for um, to help with reclamation. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's you're right. It's kind of between the mall and the horseshoe. But yeah, that is our plan. Right, and I see that Alan has pointed that out. That pile. Yeah, that's it. Okay, and then the other um, the other storage area. Yeah. Okay. It's Thanks. Right Alan. in there. And while you're looking at that, you can see the old strip mine uh, to the west, where there's room for expansion at the disposal site. This is always a lot of concern about capacity and site life and so on. Um, we have many many years left within the the uh, existing permitted areas and. Uh, and then someday, long before Marlon and I are gone, long after Marlon and I are gone, maybe there'll be development of that additional area to the west. 
I wanted to add some clarification about um, groundwater monitoring as well. Um, as a result of the um, consent order, I believe that there were three monitoring wells added just to make sure that um, the area was adequately covered um, and was capturing um, any groundwater that was leaving the site. Um, in those groundwater reports that are submitted twice a year, um, they will identify um, uh, statistically significant increases, SSIs. And if there are any significant increases, um, the well will go into compliance monitoring and monitor for a larger suite of constituents. And so while my understanding and based on the review of those reports is there have been SSIs, but nothing that has come up in um, the monitoring for that larger suite of parameters as a result of those SSIs. And, and I don't know, Rebecca, if you can provide a better explanation, but um, just wanted to clarify that for uh, the commission. Yes, Scott, I think that's a good explanation um, for this group. And just to point out that as of um, late October, early November of this past year, the state did approve two of the wells to come out of that additional monitoring because of the lack of presence of SSIs or constituents of concern over specific levels. So um, that's a good step in the right direction. Okay, so we have been part of that correspondence um, regarding um, that information. That reduction, okay. So that's, that's part of what we're trying to do. And we'll talk about these conditions is we wanna be in the loop on all these sorts of things. Um, so we can make sure that you know, everything is, is in compliance and um, you know, that we know what's going on. And so, I mean, that's the first we've heard of that. Um, so hopefully um, we can make sure that we're in the loop on that stuff. Yeah, and I know that Sarah with the state has been um, generally CCing you, Scott, or, or someone from the county on her correspondence. So I apologize if, if uh, I did not notice that you weren't CC'd on that, but I can bring that particular one up and make sure it's sent to, to you and to the county. That'd be great, thank you. Yep. It's important. Brian has his hand up. Okay. Oh, sorry, Les, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted, when we're talking about uh, groundwater uh, uh, monitoring well water quality and testing, it's important to remember that the, the two major impacts that we've seen in our monitoring wells over the many years that we've been monitoring have been um, one, because this was an old mine, an old coal mine, which generated a number of heavy, met heavy metals. And that's why the county chose to uh, move the site to, uh, to, to this piece of, piece of ground back in the early 70s is because nobody else wanted it for anything else as a, you know since it was an old strip mine and the the, the old county landfill uh, down by oak creek was also in a, a basically filling up an old strip mine so that was one issue and the other issue is that uh, for quite a few years when the county opened that site in the early 70s uh septage uh from from a septic tank pumping was taken to an old uh an old pit out there and dumped. And that has shown up continually for years and years now 
um, in, uh, in, in, in certain of the uh, one or two of the monitoring wells out at the facility. And then the third thing was that when the county had the site, uh, they applied magnesium chloride on the roads. And that's a no-no for landfills also because that has an impact on monitoring wells. And we've, and we've seen some of the, uh, some of the fallout from, uh, from that uh, magnesium chloride expert, uh, uh, application to keep down the dust. Uh, and, the, and one lat and that, that septic dumping has, has, uh, continued to, to show up. And that really ties into the issue about uh, the vaults uh, that, that uh, Scott, I think you referred to as being illegal. And, uh, and I would uh, contest that characterization. But uh, when we first established uh, an office at the landfill many years ago and negotiated the handling of the septage, the decision was made and agreed to with Mike's off to install vaults for the toilets for both the shop and for the, uh, for the office <clears throat> because uh, having a leach field at a disposal site with all these monitoring wells is just a recipe for having all kinds of problems with organics showing up in those monitoring wells. And since Twin Enviro is in the business of hauling and, uh, and pumping septage uh, and, and taking it to the wastewater treatment plant, it was not any kind of a concern in terms of being a burden for Twin Enviro to take that septage and pump out those uh, vaults on a regular basis. And I would strongly, strongly oppose any um, any decision to require establishments of leach field at a disposal site that is always looking for, for uh, impacts from uh, organic waste. Uh, that would be really hard to track and hard to understand how, why we would make the decision like that. Um, I know that there's been um, variances given for the installation of vaults in, uh, in Route County, especially over in the stagecoach area. And, uh, and we believe that at least on, a, on an informal basis when those vaults were installed, that we already have a variance. Um, I would like to jump in. This, we're, this discussion about the variance with the uh, uh, vaults is something that will be addressed uh, at a later date. There is a condition of approval that requires compliance with that uh, by a certain date. And so I would just prefer to not uh, engage on whether a variance can get obtained or whether it's appropriate or not. We will leave that for a later date. Okay. Uh, Brian, you got your hand raised. Quick question. What's the foreseeable lifetime of the current landfill with the approved modules? Certainly, be in excess of fifty years. Well, so the, so currently, I, I should have gone over this in my presentation, but currently they are depositing trash in this area right here. These are modules six A, six B, seven A, and seven B, and this is the area that is allowed by the EDOT to have trash deposited in it. And 
I believe the life expectancy for this area right here is 26 years. Um, and then they also have plans to expand into this area, module eight. Um, this area right here is the old county landfill. And so once they finish with mod eight, then the plan would be to move into phase two, which is in this central area and kind of match the match the contours and the grades of this existing capped landfill. Did I get that accurate? Yeah. Okay. So what's so Brian to answer your question, what's been approved for this area right here is an additional 26 years. Thank you. So Continuing down, Mr. Lyman, were there some other issues that you had problems with? Uh, last, the insurance issue. Oh, go ahead. The county has increased our insurance environmental liability from 1 million to 1 million one. And uh, we can, we price down, nobody's going to write an additional $100,000 policy according to our agent. But we can get two hundred thousand for eight months for a cost of nine thousand uh, dollars. We don't need that for twin. It's a county requirement because of their increase. Because of their increase, and uh, it's a CPI, isn't it? Is that why the number went up? I'm not sure. No, uh, it was represented as a state requirement, but we our insurance agent couldn't find any kind of state requirement in the statute that required us to go to 1.1 million. We prefer uh, not to spend the additional nine grand to, to get that additional $200,000 coverage for eight months. So the, my response to that is this is a policy that is set by the Board of County Commissioners. This is not a planning policy. Uh, the planning department had no hand in bringing this to the commissioners or suggesting the $1.1 million to the commissioners. Um, and so what had happened is that there was a change in uh, the liability limits uh, for local governments through state statute and that got raised to $1.1 million. And so the, in turn, the commissioners adopted a policy requiring operators to have insurance to cover the county, what the county would be responsible for if the county was sued and lost. So this is the, the, the zoning regulations got changed in response to that new policy. And so this is, I, I really don't see this as being negotiable because this is a countywide policy it's in the zoning regulations, and it's consistent with how we have processed and approved all applications since this policy was put into effect. We have heard the issue that you can't get a $1.1 million policy, and we certainly sympathize with that, but uh, a change in insurance uh, policies is I would see is coming in response to this change in state statute. May I uh, just respond to that for a moment? Sure. Um, in addition to insurance, I want to remind you that 
the, uh, the Milner landfill has $4 million worth of uh, funds available for closure and post-closure operations um, in a trust. It's cash, it's not, it's not insurance. And uh, you know that four million bucks would be uh, really helpful in, in, in case there was really some kind of environmental problem. And, uh, and that's actually modeled after the uh, mine closing requirements uh, in the state of Colorado. I would suggest on this condition alone, um, because it's something that's being required from the county commissioners, um, this discussion will be in the minutes that they will see. But um, I think that this would be most appropriate to discuss with the county commissioners themselves and with the county attorney who will um, be, be at that meeting as well. Makes sense, Christy, thank you. Um, commissioners, any additional questions for Mr. Lyman or Mr. Lyman, any additional questions for staff and or the commissioners? Well, listen, Marlon, did y'all have more conditions that y'all wanted to discuss? When did you take that? Uh, there's a requirement in the general conditions that requires us to take an annual survey of airspace consumed uh, by the trash that we bring in. That again, is at a cost to twin and something that we don't need for our own internal planning purposes. Um, you know, we, we record all of the volume that comes into the landfill by the ton, and, and we have a really good sense of uh, how much area we have and how much we have, area we have left. And we certainly can give you a report, but to go out there and hire engineers to, to, to do shots and, and, and make computations, I think it's just really throwing money away. Sorry, but I just don't think it's necessary. What condition are you referring to? What number, please? It is item 24. So my response to this, this is a, um, so section 6.1.5 of the zoning regulations, it's industry standards, and it requires an operation to implement best management practices. And we believe that an annual airspace survey is a best management practice for landfills. And the county wants this information to be able to track the available capacity um, in case the, I mean, through all of the master plan discussions, there have been comments made that the county might need a second landfill based on the amount of growth that is projected. And yes, I agree that there is available space at the landfill, but there are lots of geological issues since there was a, it's an old underground or an underground mine, a strip mine. They might get into the geotechnical reports and realize that those areas cannot be used as a landfill because the, it's too porous. There's too many faults there. The groundwater is too high. So there's a lot of unknowns about expansion on this site because that work hasn't been done. Um, uh, permitting and construction of a new landfill takes approximately 15 to 20 years. So we need to know what the available capacity is so that we can plan for a new landfill if it, if it is required. 
And landfill services are usually provided by the government. According to CDPHE, there are 54 municipal landfills that are open to the public. Only 18 of them are privately run. Most of them are run by local government. So by having this information, we are uh, fulfilling our oversight responsibility to look out for the general population of the county to make sure that there is a place to put the county's waste in case this, this site cannot be expanded. Uh, Alan, may I respond to the things that you were saying? Uh, first of all, I, in terms of, of uh, county landfills or municipally run landfills compared to private landfills, the, basically the, the county, counties and cities that run landfills typically are running the very small sites that the private, the private guys don't want to touch because they're so tiny. That's why your numbers are so high. If you look at the volume side of that equation, most all of the waste in Colorado, probably 70, 80, 90, probably 90% of the waste, and that's not exaggerating, is being handled by private landfills um, because the economics are, are much better. Um, the other issue, you, you referred to some data. We have an unbelievable amount of data on the site. Uh, in terms, in addition to the 12 monitoring walls that we have, we have, I can't tell you how many different boreholes that we put in that site all over the place to, to, uh, to understand uh, the geology, the groundwater and all the rest of it. So to say that we don't have information in terms of where we can expand and where we can't is really not a fair uh, characterization. And the, and the fact that the coal mine, the underground coal mine was underneath the site has caused us to do some um, special reinforcement of some of the, of the uh, areas that, that uh, transport water and, uh, and pipes and that kind of thing. But again, it's not a situation where we don't know what's going on. We have a really good, we have really good data for, for tracking the capacity of the site. It's just not done by survey. It's done by looking at the design of the different cells and how fast they're filling up and understanding the tonnage that's gone into those sites. So the data is not generated by surveys. It's generated by taking the data we get from the scales and from the trucks and from the cubic yardage and then, and then looking at uh, the fill areas that we've built. And, um, and I, you know, we can give you all kinds of good data, and I don't think you'll be any less accurate than going out there and spending thousands of dollars on, uh, on surveys. Um, you know, disposal fees in, in these small sites like ours is definitely higher than it is in these big sites on the front range. And, the, and you know, it's the public that's paying these costs. And, you know, I always say, how much do you want to pay? How much do you want to spend? Because uh, it definitely has an impact and it's passed along to the public. I see Andy has his hand raised and so does Scott. Andy. Um, I think Les kind of hit on one of my questions was, is, um, is there another metric that we can use and the county can agree to that will be close enough to make the oversight responsibility of trying to determine life expectancy, you know, adequate for um, our needs. 
And, you know, if is it, if it truly is an oversight responsibility, is that something, a cost that the county should incur um, and not the applicant? If the applicant is providing additional information to an industry standard, that might um, do the job. We're happy to give you reports on an annual basis of what kind of uh, life we have left at the site in terms of what's already constructed and built and approved. And keeping in mind that we do have another 60, 70 acres that's, that's untouched and a whole other phase of the landfill that's untouched at this time. I mean, we're, we're talking, I said 50 years, but it's probably more like 100 years. Um. Alan, well, first of all, Scott, did you have a question? Uh, yeah. Um, so um, we did some research about um, maybe the best way to go about these types of surveys. And nowadays, um, you can fly a drone over a site and do a LIDAR scan and uh, collect and process that data for probably under $2,000. Um, so we're not talking about a large cost. Um, and, you know, if it's, of course, not my decision, but, um, you know, the possibility that the county pays for that surveys is on the table and, and uh, we can discuss that. Um, and then, you know, it also gives us, um, I think, more than the life, but also the rate at which space is being occupied, I think is important to know. Um, I would think that it's important for the landfill to know um, the density um, and maybe you collect other data where, where you um, get that information. And it also gives us um, another way to compare um, the cubic yards that are being reported uh, for disposal fees. And so just a couple other reasons, um, just to let you know that it's not a hugely expensive uh, process to um, go about doing that these days. You don't have to send somebody out, take a bunch of points. It can be done fairly quickly uh, with a drone. Those drones also take photos, um, which would be helpful uh, for us. And I would think the landfill as well. So just some other information. Is the metric though of tonnage that's being reported adequate for the county to evaluate at least on one level of measurement the life expectancy of the landfill um i don't think so i think that uh you know this is why we you know we've talked alan laid out the reasons very well um why we uh, would prefer to have this type of survey done um, it gives us more information, it gives us better information, and it's fairly inexpensive. So it goes over 2,000, we just build a county, huh? <laughs> Brian? Uh, I generally agree with Scott's statement. I was gonna mention that, uh, that a drone will pretty much make mincemeat of this. I don't know the yardage equivalent or the tonnage equivalent to yards that uh, Les had mentioned 60 to 70,000 tons a year. Uh, but what does that equivalent to in yards? 
And in fairness to the volume deal, your volume is going to depend a lot on your compaction. And unlike a state highway where you do soil or you do testing, nu nuclear testing on the compaction of the shoulders and stuff, this is kind of unregulated in that way. I, my suggestion here would be every other year or something. So you had it maybe twice in the five-year period before it comes back up again for the next SUP. Uh, if it's a one-to-one -one ratio, that's 60 to 70,000 yards, obviously. But I don't know what that ratio is. That's a fair amount of yardage. I'm sure Steve probably remembers that from his gravel pit days. Oh, yeah. Um, well... It's the, the thing that gives me just a bit of pause. At this point in time, though, we really don't have our arms around what kind of data the petitioner has to provide to us as well. I mean, I've heard him on more than one occasion say they've got a lot of data and they actually, um, I think I heard this, that you actually calculate the volumes that you've been using because that's part of an integral part of your business on a going forward basis. So wouldn't it make some sense to at least look at that to see what's being generated? We'd be happy to share that data with you. And we, you know, we have flown the site and we have, uh, you know, we, we generate tonnage data. So then the question becomes, how do we word the language in 24 to reflect that A, the petitioner has data um, and that, you know, if it isn't satisfactory, perhaps this drone approach is another option, but I'm, I'm struggling with that. Cause like I say, what bothers me is just a bit, I think the request and the condition makes some sense to the extent that the county has a bit of an obligation to understand, you know, how much volume is being occupied or, or being taken up each and every year. Um, but by the same token, I'm not necessarily a proponent of incurring additional expenses for the petitioner. So to that extent, my thoughts are, hey, if the data is available and we can actually use that data without incurring additional costs, why wouldn't we do that? Well, I'm uh, sorry, this is Lacey Coop. I'm the controller at Twin Fire Services. I'm here with Les Lyman. I also want to add that this data is provided to the CACAG. It is provided to you in tonnages that we are required to report out. Um, it might not be in a format that is airspace or volume or trends of history, but we use the same tonnage data that goes across our scale that is reported to the CDCHE and to the county for our internal operation expectations. Well, that part's fine, but somehow that needs to be converted into volume in place volume, I guess I'll call it a compacted volume. Right, Brian? Yeah. We could do that. The information that you're asking for though, the petitioner is telling you they don't require that information to determine their life expectancy. And what I'm hearing is, is this type of aerial survey is a tool that the county would like to utilize. And why wouldn't you try and utilize it, say on your gravel pits? or any other mineral resource extraction that occurs in the county to back up or to, you know, um, compare against whatever information is be, being provided by, say, 
a gravel pit applicant. They say they've extracted this many tons. <clears throat> the county wants to know if that's accurate. Wouldn't the county incur that cost um, to be able to determine I, that? Andy, to, to chime in with a little bit of what you're saying, I probably will catch my lunch for saying it. However, my experience in the gravel mining operation, both in Illinois and Wisconsin, is the state, plural, on an annual basis, would actually fly all of the mining operations in the state um, and then report back to the operators and explain to the operator, okay, our aerials indicate that you've operated in this area and you know, does that make sense and do you concur and that kind of thing? Yeah, that's kind of what they do in the mining operations there. I don't know what happens here, but I do know there, the state actually flies all of those operations specifically for the purpose of ensuring that, you know, the operators are not going into areas that are out of permit or out of boundary. And that's kind of the, you know, the, this adding this in as number 24, having this as a, a general condition, it's not like, I don't, I understand why the County wants the information. I don't know that the onerous should be put on the applicant for that when it's something that we're trying to, you know, back up or double check or confirm the information that's being provided. I think it's a tool that maybe the county should look to fund just for like what you're mentioning, how in other states, other counties, other places you've operated, they've done something similar to that. That's just my, my take on number 24. Well, I think that Andy has you know, put forth some alternative language that affords the county the opportunity or planning department the opportunity to take advantage of existing data. And I think the way it's worded makes some sense um, that calculates the actual airspace. And that's what we want, I think. I, I do, since this is a new requirement, um, I could see some middle ground, uh, hitting some middle ground and giving it a, giving it a shot. Let's have them submit the data that they have and let's see what, um, what it shows. See if it gives us the information that we're looking for. And if it is great, no new cost to the operator and we get what we want. But if it doesn't, then maybe it would be time to revisit it in the future. Makes sense. Uh, comments from commissioners? Brian? A point of clarification. What we're asking for is airspace consumed. What we receive is um, cubic yards and tons um, per quarter. And so just that clarification, we wanna be able to understand the rate at which airspace is being um, taken up. And we also wanna you know, compare, be able to compare the, um, the tonnage and cubic yards that are reported to that airspace consumed. see Brian has his hand up and then Roberta. Just a quick statement that United, Precision, Duckles, all of them, native or alpine aggregates, all of them annually at a minimum inventory their gravel pits. 
with either GPS or drone technology. Roberta, you had a question? Uh, thanks, Steve. Just a comment. I mean, is this the kind of thing that we could leave the condition on there subject to the planning director's review of the data that's available? And if, you know, if the data is acceptable, then the condition basically goes away. Uh, we wouldn't want the condition to go away. We want no, them to yeah. submit this data annually so that going forward, so that we know on a continuing basis how much is consumed. But there should be a way that this could be worded that it could be, you guys could follow up as administratively after the permit is issued. No? Well, I mean, if, if this, if the data that's submitted doesn't work for us, then we would be looking for a new condition requiring something new. And, but if it does work for us, then great, it works. There's nothing that needs to be addressed. No, I'm just saying you leave the condition as written, but then add a clause in there to say, if in fact the data that's, that's available from the applicant is acceptable, then, then the aerial survey or whatever it's called, um, wouldn't be required. So something you could review, you don't give up the condition, but something you could review later on. I, I, thought, I, I thought I heard Scott say though, that he was, that this was kind of additional information that's being requ requested um, in addition to the normal reporting. It's that, that's what the county is looking for is uh, because as Steve was discussing, and I think there's other discussions been going on that the tonnage and yardage does not necessarily factor in compaction into the equation. And with so many different materials going into the landfill, it would be probably really super hard to come up with an equation that would, you know, take all of those factors and give you something similar to what's being requested with the aerial survey. So I, I kind of look at 24 as it's a new ask for additional information that's not being, that's in addition to the information that's already being provided. Am I correct in that? It is a new ask. And I think that, that we're getting hung up on Ellen's revision clearly states, hey, look, data shall be submitted annually that calculates the landfill airspace consumed during the previous 12 months. It's kind of what we wanted. All we're doing is really, I think in effect, got rid of the word annual survey. And I think survey denotes, you know, fit, whether, it's, whether it's a drone or whether it's Brian Kelly walking around with a transit and a, yeah, uh, whatever. Um, and I think that's kind of what we just changed. That's all. I still think we're getting to what the result is that Alan's looking for. Or am I missing this? I think it was just a little confusing with the 24 being listed twice and not being struck out um, just because we were debating on both of them. So with that being struck <laughs> out, then yeah, I think it makes clearer sense. Okay. If it's going to stay in there, then 
maybe like Brian's suggestion that it's something that's maybe more biannual versus annual. Again, I'm not sure why this additional measurement is being put at this time is being put on the applicant when it's something that the county should be doing, in my opinion, should be doing on its own to verify the information that's being, it's like an independent audit. Well, the only thing, Andy, I, I think the, the petitioner has volunteered and offered and basically stated the data is available. And they probably, I'm thinking that they already calculate the airspace that they've used on an annual basis anyway. So what we're looking for is to share that. Now, take it one notch farther, in, this, in the examples that I cited about the gravel mining operations in other states, it actually becomes a sit down. The state does its thing and it flies the operations and it calculates the acreage that had been disturbed in the previous 12 months. Then they sit down with the operator and say, okay, this is what we're seeing. Do you agree or not? And if so, if you do agree, fine, we're good. And if you don't, tell me what's different from what we flew versus what you're showing. And you kind of work through that. And I think the opportunity exists for the county at some point in time. If it doesn't like or is uncomfortable or would like to add another layer of, call it, you know, another layer of information on top of what we're getting from the operator, so be it. Um, that's another animal and that's fine. Brian. Just a point of clarification. One of the landfills I worked on was Clint, Texas. It's for the city of El Paso. We put in modules that would easily be the size of everything that's already approved at the Route County or the Milner landfill for the next 26 years, it was gonna be consumed in about a year to 18 months. The entire module was gonna be filled up in that period of time. And there's no way that in five years, you're gonna get yourself in trouble on this from a volume perspective. There's way too much land out there, you know, relative to what you're putting in it. Now, at the end of this five-year permit, should you probably survey at a minimum, you know, should you survey the land? Yeah, I would sure think so. You would want to know how much you had going into the next permit, but there's so much permitted out here already that even if your compaction factors aren't right, you're not in trouble yet. There's a lot of land out there relative to El Paso, Texas. So would a, a five-year review versus an annual or biannual be worth discussing? I, I kind of agree with what you're saying, Brian. I don't know that the data is necessarily on a yearly basis. I do support the county's desire for um, meeting its oversight responsibility. Is there something, is there some middle ground that can be reached? And, and that's what I'm saying before the next special use permit maybe require then the actual ground survey before you enter into the next SUP. So you know what's been consumed in the five-year interim at a minimal, at a minimal. Uh, I don't think you should get into the next special use permit without that data. Just to make sure you're not in, you know, if something's off on your assumptions or the data the, that uh, Twin Environmo is uh, submitting, you don't get 15 years down the line and all of a sudden find out you've only got five years left. 
if you have a major difference in the data, you'll see it in five years. Could we ask uh, Les and Marlin what their opinion on this new language for number 24 is? What, what is the language? It, it, just, it just changes it oh. from an annual survey to just data. It should be seen. Uh, yeah, we could do something like that, I think. Okay, thank you. Annually, as opposed to an annual survey is the big difference in the one. Okay. Yep, yep, that's the, yeah, it, it changed into, because Les, Les said you have the data that you can provide, so let's, uh, let's start off with the data and see what we get, and hopefully it's what we're looking for, and if it's not, we can talk about it at a later time. Makes sense. Yeah. Perfect. The later time is five years. Correct. Well, couldn't it be possibly 10 years? Because if they're in compliance with everything, then this continues on for another five more years. Uh, it would need to be administratively renewed. So it would go through the same staff review, staff report preparation. Um, it just wouldn't come to planning commission and the board. And, and uh, but we could, we could bump it up if there were, um, I think the, the condition is like, no, if, if there are no major changes or issues that are identified in the previous three inspections, it could be re renewed administratively. Um, but if those aren't met, then it would go through back through the whole planning commission and board of county commissioner hearing process. Well, that, but that's always an option anyway, isn't it? Even if administrative review, we, we have the ability. We have the ability to bump up an administrative review to planning commission or the board. Anytime. Yep, I thought so. Okay. I I'm sorry to beat this up. But the way that 24 is worded on the screen right now, it doesn't achieve the goal that the county was asking for um, in getting the air compaction report, which is the valuable information that is used to back up and compare the data that's being provided. Because they're already providing the data. They already are in compliance with data providing their tonnage and their yardage that they're bringing into the landfill. And that's the metric by which they use to calculate life expectancy. The county is specifically asking for this air compaction survey to back that data up. I would be in favor of leaving the wording as it was before, removing annual at the, I would say a survey within five years or right before the next renewal period, kind of what Brian was discussing, be provided you know, prior to the next approval um, using an aerial survey, like be specific with the word. Well, you don't even have to, I guess. You don't need aerial, a survey that gives you this compaction comparison. I just don't think it needs to be annual. I think biannual is unnecessary, but once every five years for the volume of this particular site is probably not an unfavorable ask, in my opinion. You know, I, I would still prefer just to go on record that I'd like to, this to be done 
on an annual basis, um, just because you know it gets reported to us on a quarterly basis. We want to um, be able to compare numbers. Um, so that's what I would prefer. Um, and if there was a huge financial burden, um, I guess um, I could certainly understand that. But given the amount of money that it costs to do the survey, um, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, and I'm, I'm not against having or requesting the money to pay for it from the county. Um, so just to go on record that I would still um, prefer for our purposes to um, do that on an annual basis. Scott, are you all right with how the new wording is placed um, with it being annual and not being a uh, survey um, done by drones that could be possibly done by different things that uh, uh, they already have? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to think about that. Um, what they would be reporting is airspace occupied, I believe. Um, I, so I guess I, I don't know the answer to that question, um, but possibly. <laughs> One more time, because this is a new requirement. Um, the petitioners already indicated that the new language is acceptable to them. And frankly, I think what's going on, he has enough information and enough data in his own internal operations to actually figure out how much airspace has been occupied. I think that information gets generated daily, monthly, weekly, quarterly, what have you. And it's probably not an overly, it's not a big burden for him to actually calculate the airspace that is going to be, or that was in fact used. Um, maybe as a check at the end of the five-year period, some type of a legitimate survey should be conducted for the purposes of verifying or at least seeing how close those calculations were. And that to me is something that I still think the county can pick up the tab on and do it at the end of the five years and say, okay, we've got these calculations from the petitioner. Um, they indicate that, so I don't know, I guess it could be cubic feet or so many cubic yards of airspace has been filled. We're gonna do an aerial survey um, just for grins, just to see how close we are and do it that way. Is that an acceptable compromise? And again, I think everybody admits that at 60,000 tons a year, we got a long way to go. I don't think, I, Andy, your comment about doing it every other year is fine, but I guess what I'm smelling and sensing from a petitioner, it's really not that much of a burden to do it on an annual basis. You're basically taking an existing documentation and data and massaging it and compiling it into an airspace calculation. So, okay, but I think at the end of five years, yeah, let's have the county run a drone across and let's do a topo and see what they've actually filled. Then at least they might like that information as much as we would. Yeah, sounds good to me. You wanna add words to that effect, Alan, or not? Uh, what about a survey at the end of the five years? Yep. Um, I would, 
Um, and maybe it doesn't need to be. I don't. Yeah. I. Um, it doesn't need to be in there because it's a county decision if that's what we choose. That's if we choose how to do it. I I think I would prefer to leave that out at at this moment and. Uh, Again, to reiterate, this is going to be a recommendation to the Board of County Commissioners. So right. they're the ones that are going to be making the final decision. So this language could change depending on how the conversation goes with the board. Well, and they'll be privileged to read all the back and forth that we've just had. Yeah. yeah. Good. So we want to just leave it how it's written right now. The, the change, so in, in, instead of an annual survey, just data shall be submitted? My preference would be, yeah, to use your new words. Okay. But I'm not a dictator. So, commissioners, comments? Maybe I like you your approach, Steve. I'm favoring your approach. <laughs> You're, you're not a dictator, but you're not a dictator, but you are the chairman. So I'll go along with the chairman. <laughs> I was, I was going to rephrase Steve's question. And are there any objections from planning commission members on the new language? Hearing none. All right. So can we move on to number 25? The uh, About the dumpsters and the portable toilet storage area and any visual mitigation that may be required for that? We already talked about putting in uh, trees and shrubs and whatever. Yes, there was discussion. We just need yeah. to uh, get consensus and modify okay, the language. If Andy has his hand raised. So Andy. I, I generally agree with the discussion. I believe it could be re reworded to say a fence or landscaping that meets a general requirement for buffering and screening shall be installed. My big problem with that is, is that we don't have a way to calculate what acceptable amount of plantings are. Um, the city of Steamboat Springs uses a metric by which they take the length of disturbance and divide it by two categories, one being moderate, the other being intense or, uh, you know, a, di a different, a different wording where they say one tree per 20 linear feet or one tree per 10 linear feet of disturbance, um, the county doesn't currently have a regulation for buffering and screening. As, you know, as for determining the appropriate amount of landscape, I would suggest um, also that irrigation be a requirement if things are going to be planted, because that's part of how you make things live <clears throat> around here, especially. Additionally, the percentage of vegetation that needs to be evergreen to effectively screen something versus deciduous trees. Um, again, the county or the city of Steamboat Springs has a requirement that at least 50% of the plantings be evergreen. We, we could consider language that addresses, you know, that. 
We'll plant what we can, but we don't have irrigation water. We just don't have it. We don't have water rights and we don't, we just don't have it. You know, and that's the challenge. But I, I think what Roberta said about a three to five year establishment period versus a bond, I'd kind of be more in favor of the three to five years of establishment. Um, I just think without without water, you're not going to get plants to survive. We are in a semi-arid climate um, and anything that's planted needs to be irrigated in some way, whether it's a, a water truck or periodically or bags around the roots that get filled. There's a lot of different solutions for it, but without irrigation, you're pretty much ensured that almost anything you plant out there has no survival. We've done really well on revegetating the fill areas. Um, they're green in the summer. They're well, green. and I, I think grass is a totally different animal okay. as the trees. Absolutely. Yeah. You can get away with um, just overseeding, uh, specifically if it's done at the right time of year and then in the springtime get good germination. I agree with that 100%. Trees are different. Okay, so I, ju I just want to be clear. It sounds like that Planning Commission is determining that some sort of visual mitigation is required. Because if that is the consensus, then we can continue on with this conversation. But if that is not the consensus, then we should just remove the condition and move on to the next one. So what Alan is really saying, Brian had, I think, some pretty pointed remarks about, hey, at 65 miles an hour when you're driving by this landfill, which you can't see when you're driving 65 miles, is it really required? I think he has a point. Um, Steve, this, is, Steve, this is Jim. I'll jump in on that. On the one hand, that's a point. On the other hand, it's not. You can drive 75 miles an hour on the interstate going to Denver. That doesn't mean you're going to have porta potties lined up on both sides of it for five, 400 miles. You know, okay. It, it, it's not an issue of what you see when you're driving. It's an issue of the impact on the broad landscape, and that landscape is going to change over time. And uh, I, we're not talking about uh, traffic safety and what the driver is supposed to look at. We're talking about the character of the broader environment. So I, I, for one, don't buy into that argument. I think it needs some screening. And so I'm in the view that, that yes, from my perspective, we're talking about providing some kind of screening. I would concur. Brian? Brian? Uh, that being said, uh, I'm not a very aesthetic guy, but it seems like we have landscaping guidelines and berms for our gravel pits. We keep comparing this to gravel pits. It's amazing some of the similarities that we have going between the two, but our gravel pits are much better visually shielded than the gravel pits in Moffat County, obviously. And so maybe we should just be looking to them for criteria. You know, the, these aren't real high objects. They're in a visible spot, but they're not tremendously tall objects. So I think a certain amount of berming and planning what you can that might survive an environment like this uh, is going to go a long ways, especially the berming. If you look west of town at the Duckles Pit on the left-hand side, you do not see down into that pit. Those berms are big. 
and I'm not, we don't even need anything anywhere near that size because it's not like a hundred feet off the U.S. highway. It's half a mile off the U.S. highway. Uh, Alan, in the past, have we not had conditions that required the petitioner to come up with a landscape slash screening slash berming plan um, as part of a condition? And then it was proved principally by staff. Uh, exactly. It would be, yeah, landscape plan approved by the planning director. So perhaps in this particular set of circumstances, if the commissioners agree, that's maybe something that's more aligned and that the petitioner and staff can kind of sit down and say, look, if we can do some trees and yeah, we can actually do some berm because we kind of got a gravel mining operation. And between the staff and the petitioner, they work something out and life goes on. Now, I can't speak for the petitioner. I don't know if that suits him, but it would seem to me that it provides a little bit more flexibility in terms of what should be done, what can be done, and what makes sense. Or possibly a reconfiguration of that storage area because Again, yeah. looking at the, the picture, which I'll just go ahead and share one more time. Like, so these are the, the roll off containers right here and here's the porta potties. I mean, if there's like, if I don't know if this would work or not, but reconfigure it because it's the porta potties that stand out. Reconfigure it so that the, the containers are along this edge and the so basically the containers act as the, the fence um, to, to shield the, the porta potties. There you go. So, I mean, I, Steve, I like your suggestion about just adding a condition, uh, uh, a screening plan shall be developed and approved by the planning director, something like that. Um. Commissioners, your thought, and then again, uh, Mr. Lyman, what do you think? Yeah, we're, we'd like to have all the options of, uh, of, of a combination of uh, screening, fencing, moving stuff around. Burns. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that we want to get in too much into berms they take up a lot of room and um but uh we can work on this some more okay so you would be amicable that that type of language and enter into a process with staff to come up with something that really makes some sense i, I think that'd be fine okay. I, I you know i agree that the uh the toilets are more visible than the than the containers, but you know, and it really depends on the time of year. You know, it's getting the middle of construction season, there's hardly any toilets there, they're all gone around the field. And I would and, just say, with relative to what Alan was just writing, I don't know if you, if the commissioners want to include shielding of the dumpster since we just discussed that there would be maybe a possibility of moving the dumpsters in front of the porta bodies to act as screening. Yeah, the trouble is, then you can't get to them. Well, I know, I know. From an operational perspective, less that may or may not work, but I just wanted to make sure the wording was clear on what the intent was here. 
So yeah, I, I th- it sounds like everyone agrees that it's really the porta potties that are the are the issue, and so I did remove uh, the dump- dumpsters from that condition. So it's just a screening plan for the for the portable toilets. Thanks. I was planning on painting all the dumpsters bright orange next year. <laughs> the Bronco colors. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Don't go there. Never mind. <laughs> no, seriously, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm sure the toilets are, are more visual, uh, and in the winter they're there, and in the in the summer they're typically gone. So is, is everyone okay with the new language for number 25? Commissioners, chime in. No, the other way around. Anybody have a problem with the language? Oh uh, yeah, sorry. Once again, the silence is deafening. And once again, Alan, you've done an outstanding job in terms of crafting. Thank you. Uh, so Wes and Marlon, is there, were there any other conditions that you'd like to discuss? I think we're through with them. Yeah, we're okay. Yep, cool. Good. It looks like Andy's got his hand up. Andy? Uh, the only other one that we discussed earlier was number five. Um, and since there's no specific amount in there, I guess I'd be in favor of leaving number five as written. Yeah, that wording was intentional because according to the attorneys, they uh, predict that this insurance, the whatever, the government immunity limit is going to change from time to time. So instead of sticking a specific number in there that would be written in stone through this permit, they uh, included the language compliance with the county's insurance and surety requirements policy so that when those insurance limits do go up, uh, we don't have to change the regulations or the permits to reflect that new amount. And I think we're leaving the 1.1 current requirement up for debate at the county commissioner's level because that's yeah, really so, something that's out of our hands. So the current insurance and surety requirements policy does state 1.1 million. So if that were ever to change, then this condition wouldn't have to get changed along with it. Okay. Um, in general, I support the wording. Good. Uh, at this point in time, I would like to open the discussion up to anyone in the public that wishes to chime in. Do have any questions? Oh, yeah. well. uh, I think I'm hearing none. Or am I confused? I think Scott, Scott has his hands up. Uh, okay, here. Well, Scott, are you considered public? I didn't think so. I just had another question that I forgot about. Okay, we'll come back to that. Okay. Um, at this point, then, hearing none, I'll close the public comment section. Um, Scott, you had a question. Go for it. 
Yeah, it's just an operational question, probably for Marlon. Um, and going back to um, reported tons, um, based on my understanding, um, there's typically maybe 20 to 30% contamination um, in a load of single stream. Is, is that um, about right? I think that range is, is correct. Okay. And then that 20 to 30% um, ends up going into the landfill. Is that a part of the reported calculation? Yes, it, um, goes, it goes across the scale and is included in your quarterly reports. Okay, thank you. So unless I misunderstand, um, I think, are we not that far? And with that thought, we need a motion on a recommendation on this matter. Anyone care to make that motion? And again, keep in mind, this is a recommendation, not an approval. Recommendation to the commissioners? Yes, it's a recommendation to the Board of County Commissioners. All right, so with that clarification, I would, I would move that we, uh, Recommend the County Commissioner's Activity uh, PL 2021 0002 uh, with the rec represented conditions um, as amended for this discussion. Would you mind? And findings of fact. Yep. Findings of fact presented by the staff. Right. So second. There, there is a second. Was that you, Brian? Yes, sir. So we have a motion from Jim um, to recommend to the Board of County Commissioners approval of, hold on here a minute. Um, PL 20210002 with findings of fact number one as presented in the staff report and the changes to conditions number 24 and number 25 as discussed and presented um, to the commissioners. We have a for and a second. All those, in, uh, is there any discussion on the motion? Hearing none, all those in favor of the motion, uh, please signify by saying yes. 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 Opposed, please say no. Hearing none, chair votes yes. And the petition is recommended as, I'm sorry, the motion is approved as presented. Thank you. Mr. Lyman, you are free if you care, or you can join us for the administrator's report. I just wish I had something else to do tonight. No, let me think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I understand that totally. You're excuse you. got it. Thank you, sir. I concur. And Alan, you've done a great job on this. So thank you. I totally yeah, thank you. I think Alan did an outstanding job of what I think is a relatively complex matter. I think, as I said earlier in the game, there's a lot of moving parts, it seemed to me, that this thing when I was reading it. Good job, Alan. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone.
Good night, Les. Christy, I think you're up. I am. Um, so I completely concur, Alan. Um, minus uh, the snafu of uh, sharing the wrong screen there, buddy. So. <laughs> I don't know who picked up on that or who didn't, but it's okay. That was, that was good. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I was like, I, I was going to say something out loud. I'm like, all right, maybe we just ignore it. And I was trying to take it down on my end, but I, it wouldn't let me. And I'm like texting Alan and I'm like, dude. Meanwhile, it's I'm texting right. Christy going, make it stop, make it stop. I called <laughs> Steve. Yeah. I've tried to contact both of you before and you can't get me. <laughs> By the time, yeah. of course, that phone, my phone was at the opposite end of this building. So I thought, oh, Christ, who's calling now? All, anyway. First time, it probably won't be the last. The Zoom, like, no, we after. got through it. It's okay. Anyway, um, it sounds like for future reference, we should have a safe word so that oh, you know, if somebody sees something Linda. that needs attention, a really there, weird safe word. There you go. I mean, that's what they do in, in the universities now. And yeah, okay. you know, if it's that in class, everything stops. All right. What's the safe word if somebody notices something? <laughs> Assign it to the attorney. Yeah. What's that? Assign it to the attorney. What the what the safe word should be? They're the wordsmiths, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Man, they argue over words. Well, that 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 could have been a lot worse. But anyway, Brian, I bravo, think bravo, 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 bravo. No, 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 no. That's not good enough. It's got to be like aardvark or something. <laughs> something ridiculous that we would get banana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay i i move for aardvark anyway i'm sure um there has been way worse snafus over um zoom over time so um that is something we just all have to be careful about <laughs> or well, not realizing you're muted and things like that but we're anyway. gonna get out of this whole zoom mode anyway so okay. yeah so um, with respect to that, um, obviously um, we haven't been even given the go ahead yet to consider um, going back to in-person, uh, but they're just reevaluating that every week. Um, as you know, um, we have two events coming up. Let me, let me share my right screen here for you. Um, <laughs> are you seeing the navigate your route? So uh, join us for two virtual open houses. All right. <laughs> um, so this is the Navigate Your Out website. It's been updated with the most recent information. Um, we have these two events that we scheduled for February 1st and 2nd. We were initially trying to schedule this for in-person, uh, but with COVID, we've pivoted to this um, virtual format and it will be an interactive um, we'll be polling and asking questions specific to Stagecoach and West Steamboat. Uh, the other reason why um, I actually think that this is really good for us, we were talking about with the project team to do a virtual open house versus in-person is to fill in hopefully some of those gaps we identified. Um, and through this kind of format, we may be able to engage the younger population and um, maybe that 10 to 20 year range folks that we 
you know, are assuming uh, are, you um, know, busy with kids and everything else. What's that? Did you say something, Alan? You cut out for a minute. Oh, can you all hear me now? Yeah. I got you. Yeah. You're on. Okay. You're good. Um, so we think that this will essentially, um, you know, be a good fit to fill in some of those gaps that we have identified through a virtual format. We'll probably get more participation. So we are advertising that in the paper, social media. Um, we're going to do an advertisement on the radio. I don't know if that is live yet. I think that starts next week um, for this kind of event. Uh, we are... Christy, yes. Can I ask uh, a question? Is the West Steamboat one different than what the Yampa Valley Housing Authority is going to do over at Strings in a two-part yes. coming up what next week? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So the Brown the the meeting that you're referring to is specific to the Brown Ranch Brown. development and design. Okay. And this West Steamboat will be focused more on um all of the area, there's over like 540 acres, um, I believe that's the correct number, that is not associated with the Brown Ranch, that is within the urban growth boundary and part of the West Steamboat area that we consider when we're looking at the plan boundaries. Um, so we really want to, um, the long and short of that is what we're trying to gather is in the master plan and the two sub area plans, underneath that umbrella, so the West Steamboat Area Plan and the Steamboat Springs Area Community Plan, they all align in that they recommend this area as a target area for growth, um, but also that um, you know this is the area that we should send development and growth, and that would be through annexation where appropriate and infill where it's not. Um, so that is really continuing the overall arching philosophy of our existing master plan. So we want to confirm that. We, um, so that's for West Steamboat and then for Stagecoach um, along lines, we identify Stagecoach as a potential growth area in the existing plans. And, you know, all the mapping and the analysis that we've done up to this point, point to these two areas as, you know, if we're going to grow, we know we're growing, we need to consider where development is most appropriate. And so we want to engage the community to confirm that that is still true. Um, I think what a uh, stagecoach may be interesting, we'll see. Um, but the, I say that because of the application we recently had in um in stagecoach for that application for a high density development. And as you know, this is an area that we support high density type developments um, because it has the infrastructure to support it. It has the road system, so on and so forth. So um, it'll be interesting what the community comes out and says um, related to that. Um, I would ask you all, we are putting together questions and figuring out the logistics of the virtual format and the polling questions. But if you have questions and suggestions of information you would like to gather on, on, um, on either topic to email myself and um, I can share that with the project team because we are at this step right now. We have a couple of sample questions where um, wordsmithing and just thinking about, um, we met with our tech uh, team today and we posed them the same questions. 
um, today. So if you have any suggestions or input, um, I, I strongly encourage you to just email me or pick up the phone, have a conversation, and we can try to see how we can fit those questions uh, that are burning, I'm sure, um, that you would like answered. So we will um, be happy to try to accommodate that. Are you thinking like multiple choice or are you like looking yeah. for open-ended? Okay. Uh, mainly um, we are looking for ones that we can pull questions to. So that would be more of a multiple choice. Um, you know, if you have something that isn't a multiple choice question, we could try to figure out how to, you know, collectively we'll work with the team of asking that question to get the information that we need in the feedback. So um, the goal would be multiple choice, obviously. Um, Andy, I see you have your hand raised. Unless that's left over. No, I, the bigger question for me that still remains unanswered is I believe that the impact of development in the west of Steamboat will essentially negate any further development in Hayden, any further meaningful development in Hayden and Oak Creek specifically, and may even impact Stagecoach, which I believe has a bigger problem of utility services than it does of actually having you know the desirable land to be developed along with existing roads. I think that Brown's Ranch will stifle growth in our other targeted growth areas significantly until it's fully built out. It's just a personal opinion, but I think it's going to have a major impact. And when do we have that discussion along with, you know, the urban growth boundary as it relates to Steamboat Springs and some of the challenges we've had in the past with annexations that they've opposed for properties that have been subdivided within the urban growth boundary. And, you know, does that urban growth boundary even function properly in the context of those kind of specific cases? So a lot, I mean, you've brought these comments up before, um, the, specifically the first one with your concerns with that. And, you know, uh, perhaps that's a question that could be asked as, you know, is the urban growth boundary working? Um, you know, also considering that, you know, the, the urban growth boundary is intended to be a phased type development. So, you know, you're not looking to, or it's just not feasible. You couldn't even build all that housing all at once. Um, but still that to your point, that could stifle growth elsewhere potentially um, in the short term, but we're still looking at a long-term plan, right? And we know at the rate of our growth, West Steamboat's going to fill up sooner or later, and we're still going to, you know, be looking for other areas to develop. And that's why we are still, you know, um, we are still recommending, you know, and I don't feel those policies are going to change to direct growth and development to the municipalities and identified growth areas. So um, I don't know if anybody else has comments related to that. I see, Brian, you have your hand raised. Uh, well, not surprisingly, uh, I'm probably gonna dispute what Mr. Benjamin just said. <laughs> so, but, and I would show say, show me what you got. 
that we've been talking about West Steamboat since 1998 or 1999, you know, as a community. And here we are in 2022 and virtually nothing has happened, right? Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean that something couldn't happen. This is great getting this donation of land, but I talked to some engineers and, you know, former city council people and the land is just part of it. You've got to get the infrastructure in, you've got to get your water in, all, all this stuff. And then not everybody might want to live in that kind of clustered development that will surely take place there to justify the infrastructure costs this close to town. So based on historical data, you would actually say the opposite because Hayden's actually done something and I know I'm from this part of the county, and I'm, but I'm not. But same thing with Oak Creek. Sierra View subdivision is starting to fill in, right? And and Hayden is starting to fill in. And West of Steamboat has literally not done a thing. So I, I just try to rely on the facts, not conjecture. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. But like in the in the case of, let's say, Hayden, they've recently you know, developed several large subdivisions. And I think the rate of infill as it is with Sierra View is, is pretty small. Like development is not occurring in these areas. It is occurring very piecemeal, um, but like Sierra View is not even 50% developed. And that was, that was almost 20 years ago. Like when I first moved here, man, you know, and we're talking about like 50 lots. And so, you know, my bigger question is, is the decisions that we make at the county level, do they limit the, the goal of directing development to our growth areas? Because I, I believe in the, in the goal, like Christy said, that goal is a, is a good goal. Develop, development should go within our defined growth areas, 100%. But what, what happens with our decisions? And I think, I just think that, and again, it's conjecture, Brian, so you're absolutely right, but I think that that development has the potential to severely limit, like, say, the development of all those lots that are available in Hayden, which is a growth center, is ready for it, it's got the infrastructure, it's got the roads, you know, ready to go, but you know, people are salivating over what's going to happen at Brown's Ranch. You I know, um, can I can I just interject something um, that came up in the uh, TAC meeting today? And that is that 80% of growth of jobs in Route County has occurred in Steamboat Springs. Um, and so do we, I mean, does, is it, isn't it appropriate for housing to be developed near where the jobs are? That would be great, but Oak Creek really needs jobs, really needs a tax base, really needs all the, jobs. Yep. the benefits. Like you, most of the jobs right now, according to the data that's been provided by our, our experts, is that we're a bedroom community. And so I support, I totally support jobs and housing being close together 100%. Yeah, but you can create housing in a way that you can't create jobs it still doesn't change the fact that decisions that we make have the potential to impact future growth in our other growth areas. Like, I, I just feel that there was comments made by several people at the recent Oak Creek meeting that we had about the fact 
Like they couldn't understand why <laughs> growth was not occurring. Um, it's, it's a potential that the growth that ha that's occurring elsewhere is limiting that. And I understand it's a long-term vision. That doesn't mean in a hundred years that Oak Creek or Hayden won't see growth, but like Hayden specifically with some of their large approved subdivisions, their well-paved US Highway 40 leading directly into town isn't prime for growth. And the decisions that we make could impact that, the investments that that town has already made. Oak Creek is a whole not, is a whole nother animal when it comes to what's going on. Don't you think the industry is going to speak for it? I mean, like the marijuana kind of grows and everything that's kind of coming into Hayden and like what's going to turn into the power plant and that kind of stuff. A lot of that industry and that kind of stuff, whatever happens to replace it and what comes next is really going to dictate that growth in Hayden. And I think that's where, you know, the point of Sarah saying is where's that next going to be? Uh, and we have to plan for different areas so that, you know, we do allow some big industry to come in or something like that to have some potential to grow another growth center outside of Steamboat. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, my point is more to the fact that a, as a group, I think there's a lot of stuff that occurs with the master plan, which is our document that we adopt that we don't really get ourselves involved with. And at some point we need to have a discussion maybe on some of these other topics that are going into this master plan. A lot of yeah, the control, I mean, a lot of the direction is coming from the county commissioners at this point. And I get it. Like, uh, I thought Tim did a really good job with his introduction that he made in Oak Creek the other night. I've heard some other commissioners that I don't know that they necessarily use their time wisely. Um, but I, I just, I'm hoping that we get a time where we can have some of these higher level discussions uh, in the future. Well, we're going to be, the next step is we, um, we're finalizing and working on that community assessment report. And that's going to be a, a meeting we're going to schedule with planning commission and with the board of county commissioners for comments. We've been checking in with you um, on, um, you know, updates along the way. But to your point, Andy, and, you know, and it, this is my response to Oak Creek, because um, you were there. Um, I think that our existing policies and I think the overall nature and, and overarching policy of uh, how the, our existing master plan works and how I see this new plan working is going to support economic growth in those municipalities because we recommend for that growth and development to occur in the municipalities. We're leveraging the municipalities. We can't make that happen. But by by having and keeping those policies in place, you know, where we're not having commercial um, businesses develop out in the county and taking that away and detracting from Oak Creek or or any other municipality, you know, the policies are already there, you know, to support the municipalities for infill density and for economic development just by those existing policies. So therefore, um, you know, the plans aren't going to create development. I mean, it's just, you know, to Brian's point, you know, and we've, we've all heard people comment about how not one rooftop or commercial building has been developed in West Steamboat. Well, the West Steamboat plan must not be working. And I would argue it is working because, 
When you read all of those plans, they all support growth and development in West Steamboat. But we can't, we're not out there with the hammers and <laughs> banging nails and creating like the development. And a lot of that, unfortunately, yes, is political, you know, and the annexations which have failed over time, you know, but all we can do is help facilitate these conversations and, um, and give and, and provide those policies that the decision makers, you, uh, planning commission, uh, planning commission, the board of county commission, the city council can use to make informed decisions, and they can use that information to help support annexations and or development where appropriate, wherever in the county. Uh, Brian, yeah, back to uh, Annie's point, sir, and I listened in on Oak Creek too, uh, as well as the Hayden uh, presentation. But to give you some idea, both Dry Creek and uh, Lake Village and Hayden, which were subdivisions that were sort of platted in 2004 to 2006 or seven, and then they went bankrupt, and then they merged all out of that a few years ago, sold on the open market. But Dry Creek, for instance, probably is about half filled out now, and five years ago, it was like six houses, something like that, six or eight houses. So it just keeps every year, they're just adding in there. Oak Creek, what's really hurting it, uh, and I chimed in with the cost of dollars on an email, not doing that last two miles into Oak Creek on 131 and making that a more palatable road to South Route. Uh, it, if we intend to try to throw growth at Oak Creek, we should also, and I know we don't get in the money, but CDOT loves matching grants. And that is, a, that is a county commissioner thing. I understand that. But if you were to put down some money for a matching grant with CDOT, you'd be amazed at the cooperation we get. That project down there on Highway 9, that was mat matching grant of like $6 million from Grand County or maybe $8 million between Grand County and the guy out there, uh, Jones, of Dow Jones, along Highway 9. That was a $40 million project. $8 million got you $40 million. Okay, just to put it out there. And so that's how you develop Oak Creek. If your intention is to help fill in Oak Creek, you've got to do something about that road, I think, in my opinion. Any other comments on that? Um, so uh, as far as these virtual events, um, if anybody has any sort of um, comments or recommendations specific to these events, um, email me, please. And then um, I will share um, the notes from our TAC discussion today. We were talking um, uh, about housing. We were talking about growth. But we were also talking about um, some land use classifications. And I'm gonna be following up with them with an email about some specific asks, even though we were verbally all talking, sometimes people just need a little more time to chew on something and think about it and provide some feedback. So I would love to share that with this, uh, with planning commission as well, um, to see if you have any feedback or questions, and then we can schedule um, a time to discuss um, at our next planning commission, if you'd like. Um, we have a meeting scheduled on Alan. My calendar is not opening up, but we do have something scheduled on the third 
Um, but I believe that's going to be a really short meeting. It's on consent agenda. So we do need, um, uh, we need a quorum, obviously, but we can schedule a discussion about the master plan on there. Um, and we can kind of talk about some of these um, land use issues that we're um, currently talking about. Um, and we can kind of debrief, we can use that opportunity to debrief on the um, virtual event since it will be the following night. So that might be a good idea since it's a light agenda. Um, and I believe I just gave you the wrong date. Is that the third? Yes, February yeah. 3rd is our next uh, planning commission. And then we do have another application scheduled for the 17th. Um, and we'll- It's not officially scheduled, but most likely we'll be on the 17th. Okay. Um, and that is for us, Alan, it's a CUP, right? Uh, no, that's gonna be an, SU, an SUP for a compost facility. So we have that, um, and then um, you know, all all of us uh, planners are in the middle of um, working with applicants at various stages. Um, so as always, they can all come in at once or not at all. Um, let's see. The other highlight I have for you is that we um, we will be getting a new planner, uh, a planner tech. We're very excited about that. Um, I'm not as much. <laughs> yes. Um, so we are stealing <laughs> Michael Fitz from the city and he's coming over to the cool kids over at the county and uh, working with us. Um, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, you got a great person for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, Alan and I interviewed him about two weeks ago, and it was really funny that um, both Alan and I agreed that we're hiring another Alan. So all of you be prepared. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Except, except on a whole nother quirky, quirkier level <laughs> is um, the best way to describe Michael, but he'll be a, a great fit and we're excited to have him. So he'll be taking on a lot of our permit inspections. Um, he's going to be taking over some of our code enforcement in the interim until we hire a code enforcement officer for the county. So we will be advertising for a code enforcement officer um, shortly. Um, so we had been given the go ahead um, to move forward with that position. And it will be a shared position between um, myself and the building department. And that person will be cross trained and, um, and we're going to eventually the transition in transition from a complaint driven system, which is what we currently have, but also um, go to more proactive approach. Um, so one of the um, priorities for the commissioners is to crack down on short term rentals um, and specifically, you know, around the city um, the Steamboat Springs, that is, um, that would be the first priority. Um, but beyond that, um, trying to think if there's any other updates to share. Um, I think that's all I have at the moment. As soon as we get off, I'm sure I'll think of something. Um, but if you'd like, I'll 
put together an agenda for us to discuss the master plan and we can talk about those questions and I, you can see some of the questions ahead of time so we can have a good discussion um, on the third. So does anybody else have any other questions or comments? All right, cool. Thank right. you, Christy. 38. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you, everybody. Yep. Appreciate it. We'll see All you right. soon. Have a good evening. Okay, bye. Thanks, everybody.